This is Caminantes, where you are invited behind the curtain of the 2021 Caminos Festival and into the creative minds of this year's Caminantes. Think of this podcast as the theater lobby, where people can mingle and talk about the incredible art they're creating. What can we offer to the world? When we let go of those expectations, that's when that's when everything kind of becomes possible. Theater should be giving us something that screens cannot give us. Right now, I just want to speak my truth. We need to tell each other stories. And we learn from telling each other stories. In this episode, you'll hear two conversations. First, we'll hear from the artists behind Universo de Textos, Parte 1 a 6, and 12 Liters and 8,800 Steps. Let's get started. My name is Sofia Antiveros, pronoun she, her, and my piece is called Universo de Textos, Parte 1 a 6. My name is Anita La Selva, and uh, my piece is called 12 Liters, 8,800 Steps. Sophia, when I read about your piece, looking at dealing with personal personal stories and how do we then create art out of that, I'm very curious is for you is each time you revisit a piece or a part of that history, that personal history, how does the narrative change each time you go back to it? Because I find that fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's been one of the most challenging parts of like doing this piece because it's like based on many texts and some of them are from years ago, like from when I was like a teenager and I've like structured them in a certain way that makes sense to me and like makes sense to like different cycles that I find there have been in my life. And the hardest part was like revisiting some of them and realizing like, I don't connect to this anymore but it's very valid still, like what I felt in that moment and like my perspective in that moment. So it's definitely been like a learning process for me because I've realized how much like I've changed throughout these years and how I still keep changing. Yeah, because it's so interesting bringing in the personal, right? Because when we bring in the personal, it's it's combined with so much of who we were then, who we are now, who who and who we're who we're evolving into, yeah. right? Because we are a sum of of all of our experiences, right? Yeah. Like everything, like everything. Even though some experiences, I think that sometimes we feel that we don't connect to as deeply now, but they are the experiences that have shaped us and shaped who we are and how we see the world, mm-hmm. right? And how we are in the world. Yeah, definitely. I was wondering how does like magic realism in your film inspire like the movement and choreography slash text and videos or is it vice versa like did the creation of this piece like just instinctively inspire a world of magic realism yeah yeah that's a big (laughs) that's a big question oh my god there is this sense of this relationship that I build with a horse right where where I where there's this horse that sort of talks to me not 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 talks to me like this like verbally but talks to me telepathically so so there's that element of me going through that and and yeah so for me whenever when I when I thought about the piece I was inspired by how like how we process things and how do we how do we process and how do we heal ourselves and for me it's this relationship with the horse which is it I mean it's it's sort of it's not necessarily real well, it is real because there is a real horse yeah. in this film, actually, wow. which is kind of cool. So for me, I always visioned the piece as having that combination of 
hardcore text that's based in reality, and then this kind of a much more fluid, what is this relationship with the horse? Sometimes we can't say everything with text. And, and I think that's, for me, it was, it's based on my experience with horse therapy, equine therapy, mm-hmm. where you work with horses and they don't say anything, but their body language and the way they move and how they, they connect to you and how they physically uh, move into your space and how they connect. So that, so that's what really inspired me was when I was working with the horses going through this therapy was how the horse's body would move and then how my body would move. And, and then, and then I thought, well, as an artist, how can I take that into a bigger picture? How can I expand on that? And how can I take these very simple gestures, movements that the horse would do and then how I would respond. And I thought, what if this became bigger and this became a conversation that I could actually put on stage just like you, Anita, like I wanted, like this piece started with me doing it like live. I did part one and part two live at a, like at a small show at a park. And when I was back home during the pandemic, I was like, I should revisit this and maybe videotape it and see what happens. And it's definitely been a learning experience because I've done very few like camera work and like directing films. So it definitely was very new to me and it's hard to like, I'm also a perfectionist. So it's very hard for me to like watch myself um, in video and like tear apart every single part. But it's definitely taught me a lot of like letting go of like the expectation of something looking exactly the way that I wanted to. Yeah, it's letting go of expectations, right? Like that's so much of what this COVID has been is, is, is letting go of expectations. And I feel that when we let go of those expectations, that's when that's when everything kind of becomes possible. We just let go and go, okay, let's just live in the moment and, and see what comes and see where it takes us. And, and yeah, this film is different from what I thought it would be. It's going to be different from what I thought it would be. And it's not even finished yet. And it's still going to be different from when I finish, when we finish editing. So yeah, it's kind of exciting though. I wanted to ask, how do you translate text into movement? What is the process? It's very instinctive for me. It's just... I see the text and I start coming up with certain motifs that I find in the text. And based on that, I inspire also motifs for movement. And I feel like I create this also like this space. That's why I call it Universo de Textos because I feel like I'm creating this little world that I am in and like I am moving around it with my texts. For me, it's always it's always what is the emotion and what is the story. Um, so I, I was never, you know, I mean, I learned lots of moves as a dancer when I trained, but I always found that really difficult. And when I was able to connect to an emotion or a story or an idea or an image, that's when the movement yeah. would come naturally for me. So, so my movement is less, I wouldn't say it's, it's dance. It's more physical theater movement, kind of movement choreography that is connected to the text and a lot of gesture work. I work a lot with gestures. It has to be organic for me because again, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a trained choreographer. So for me, it's always has to connect to what, what is coming out from inside? What needs to be spoken from inside? What is the, what is the gesture that needs to happen that cannot come out on text? And both of your pieces are very personal how do you approach creating a performance from something that's so personal like do you think that there's a line that you need to like create uh in theater or are you are you not interested in that line i think that's definitely something that i've been struggling with when it comes to this piece because i don't think i've ever done a piece that is as personal as this one that i'm doing 
I don't think there necessarily has to be a line depending on where you are at. I feel emotionally. I feel like for me right now, I just want to speak my truth, but I've never really shared my movement work as much along with my personal texts, which I think are also valid to share. And I think it's also like opened me up to um, not consider myself just a dancer and a mover, but also an artist from for all forms, an actor and such. So I think that part of the vulnerability has really opened my work into other areas that are not just movement. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly what Sophia said about the personal being so vulnerable. Like I create a lot, I create as a creator, as a director, as an actor, a lot of different roles and shows that have to do with vulnerability. But this is the first time I'm actually dealing with something so personal and it's really vulnerable and it's, it's hard. And, you know, I think everyone knows where their own line is. Do you know, like I, you know, what I'm talking about is like, this is five years after the fact, and I could not have created this piece the year after all this, all everything happened, all this stuff was going on. I'm five years down the road from it. So I've been able to process, I'm still processing. I'm still been able to process, to heal, to understand better. And so that's how I can keep myself emotionally safe when I'm doing this, because I understand what I'm doing now, I, I can see it with different eyes and also with a more resilience in my body, my physical body to, to bring up all those things again, to go through them again. Because as you know, as you know, Sophia, when we work on the personal, we have to bring it up again. We have to bring it right in there and let it live right in us. And so I think that each artist has to know their own line. So yeah, for me, I don't have a line. I feel like my line was not so much emotional but psychological that had to do with fear of being judged and fear of what people would think of me and not necessarily my own vulnerability. And that was a big, a big line that I had to jump over and say, get out of. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this piece is because, you know, whenever we talk about personal, any kind of, any kind of trauma, any kind of whatever, abuse, sexual addiction, stuff like that, and mental health, there's always this kind of stigma and, and I'm, I'm kind of tired of that. And I think that people should be able to create pieces and talk about it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm pushing, I push myself to say, let's just talk about all this shit and get it out and get the shame and the judgment out. Um, so for me, that was more my line than the emotional line. I was ready to go there emotionally, but I wasn't ready to go there um, psychologically and socially. And now I've kind of been able to drop that and say, let's just, Let's just speak the truth, as Sophia said. I think you said that beautifully, Sophia. I, 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 I want to speak my truth, and, and that's what I want to speak right now. And I think that when we speak the truth, there is like incredible creative energy in that, that sometimes we don't even realize as artists until we actually have the courage to stand in that truth and breathe it and go, okay, this is, this is, this is what I got. This is me. And, and then, and then everything starts sparking and everything starts to, starts to, the, the possibilities open up because we've, we've taken the lid off and we've, we've, we've taken the lid off, off holding it down. So because, because we've taken the lid off, possibility opens up. The minute we, we, we keep things hidden, we hide them, we don't show them, we don't share them. That just crushes our creativity. And the minute we're willing to put all that vulnerability out there, the creativity then starts to bubble up. I completely agree, especially with the parts uh, that like 
um, many of these things. I wasn't like a couple of years back. I don't think I like I would share them the same way that I would share them right now, where I feel like I've reflected more and I feel more at peace with myself emotionally. And with that, my movement has also changed. I like I see like videos of me choreographing like years back and I can see the amount of instability that was in my head, just like watching myself move and like how everything that I was letting out was also like driven from like a place of like, I couldn't say it out loud. I just could say it with my movement in that moment. And now I feel like my movement is more at peace and more calm and reflective because now I feel like I can speak out more and I can let out my words and not just through my movement. That was Anita La Selva and Sofia Ontiveros. Next, we'll hear from the creators of Party People, I Love the Smell of Gasoline, and One Perfect Day, Un Dia Perfecto. Hello, I'm Margarita Valderrama, and my show is called Un Dia Perfecto, One Perfect Day. I am George Camp, and um, my piece at Caminos is called Party People. My name is Claren Gross, and my play is called I Love the Smell of Gasoline. Basically, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, as we head into like the fall and this next phase of the pandemic and the world and whatever theater and live art is evolving into, like, what can we offer to the world? Like, what what is like, what are you craving out of an art experience? <laughs> I know it's a hard question. Does it make sense? It totally yeah. makes yeah. sense. That's why it's it hard. It can be abstract. <laughs> it can be vague. I'm just curious what people want right now, you know, like. I feel like even before the pandemic started, I was really on this track of um, like theater should be giving us something that screens cannot give us. Otherwise, what's the point? Like anything that a screen can do, a screen will do better. Like they just have better budgets, better tech. I guess just, you know, naturalism is for the screen. So when I'm looking at theater projects that I'm interested in, both as a participant and a viewer, I'm looking for something that's going to be experiential and that can be broadly interpreted because I do think there's some room for realism, but like, it's got to have, like when you go to a concert, there's something in the air, right? Like there's an electricity Mm -hmm. in the air. And I think that theater, if it doesn't have that, then there's no point in it. I agree with Claren. Like we're constrained to screens now. And so how are we going to like achieve this elusive ethereal magic sauce that we have in theater and yeah very similar to Claren like even before the pandemic like when I would see a very natural or naturalistic show I was like okay but I feel like you know you gave me a wide shot of like a kitchen and and now I watch that but like you know just one (laughs) hour and a half long wide shot (laughs) I want a very long wide shot I'm like okay and then you switch the that's a little bit. So now we're in a different wide shot, but like, you're not going to be able to take me to like a, a forest on, on, on a set, like on the theater. But if you can make me like smell the forest, or if you can make me see like just sensorially feel it, like that is almost more magical to me than actually seeing the trees or, or whatever. So I guess all I'm saying is I agree with Claren. I just want to jump <laughs> on that and add like what you're just saying. I think it's also the art of illusion. Like I think that like yeah. the theater for me requires like some spectacle and some magic. And I mean like quite yeah. literally like magic tricks. Like yes. 
It yes. should be like, there should be a moment that you're like, wow, like, how was that accomplished? I feel like this actually I, leads me into my question for Jord, which is that one of the things I'm really excited about with your piece is that it is like very experience-based. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering, like, as a theater creator who can obviously go on about how I want experiential theater, I still struggle <laughs> to get away from script-based theater or from a more traditional process. And so I'm wondering for like for you, what does your creation process look like? Particularly the first chapter of it, like the zero mm. to stuff to work with. What does that look like? I feel like it just starts with like ideas and feelings and like, kind of like what we were just talking about. Like, I just want this, I just want <laughs> this kind of thing. Or maybe it's songs or outfits. A lot of times it starts with the outfit. Actually, oftentimes I do start with like a form. Like for this piece, it was like, okay, it's COVID. We had to be distanced, but we want to do something live and outside. So like originally it was one audience member. We're going to have a synced up audio track. We're going to be, the audience is going to be in this circle. And so Mm. that format and being in the park, then everything kind of came from there. So like, okay, how can we use the park? Okay, what about this? Okay, we're going to need some like meditations and things for them to do while I'm changing. And (laughs) so it's sort of like the form of it informs a lot of it when I work. So, Well, Claren and I are in the middle of like, recording me as like various different people with green screens and all this stuff. And, you know, I think it's funny because I've been reflecting on it. And like when I have Claren on Zoom and I'm recording and we're doing these ridiculous shots where I'm like three different men or like all these other punching people. Punching yourself. Punching myself, throwing up on myself. Uh, <laughs> It's amazing and I have the best time. And then it's all the stuff kind of around it because we're in a digital format of like the editing and like making sure that we have all these, like just kind of maybe the producer brain stuff that I've been struggling with. And so I was just curious, what has been your biggest challenge in in making, in birthing this uh, this work you're gonna share with us? I um, We had a five day rehearsal scheduled and the morning of the second day, we got an email from buddies being like, there may be one person in our office who may be caught COVID. And so like the risk was really low, but we had to be transparent about that. And if we were all being honest about risk, like it wasn't worth it to continue. So we had two days canceled of that five day rehearsal where the last day was for filming. So we ended up like the first day was just, you know, like team building kind of stuff. And then the second day was throw a whole thing together. And the third day was film that thing. So definitely our biggest challenge was like COVID interfering with our timelines. No one, and no one had COVID in the end, which is great, but uh, it did really screw with our schedule. Yeah. I mean, working in the park has its own challenges in terms of like the weather and other people in the park and like the kind of unpredictability of that. But I have to say, I think it's kind of like just like the ongoing loneliness of this time and how we can't be with other artists in the festival. Everything's complicated. You know, COVID is constantly throwing us curveballs, right? So, you know, a lot of time working on this is just me and Liz in the park. We're dragging everything to the park. It's like just not having the resources we usually have to like be in a theater and like have bathrooms and have a roof (laughs) and have like, do you know what I mean? Like, just like having to do everything from scratch. And like, like I, I feel like I'm getting exhausted of that where it's like, I, I don't know what I want to do anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like I would rather just be in the room with some people and like have people to feed off of and see more shows and be inspired. I'm missing that. I find that that feeling has also led to like 
a level of procrastination on my part yes. that I've never experienced before. I like that. I was always that person that was like, I'm on top of it. I've made the schedule. Like I'm going to do all this work, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, pretty much since this started, I just have a really hard time, like motivating myself to be like, okay, like edit it. Like yeah. you have the footage now, <laughs> like edit it. Like, no. <laughs> it's hard. Thank you for saying that. I'm also finding that it's easy to procrastinate and yeah. sometimes hard to get motivated these days. But deadlines help. I mean, the fact like any time that I'm kind of dangerously procrastinating, I'm reminded of the fact that <laughs> we have this festival and I have to show something. So that that definitely helps. But in fact, yeah, like when I was trying to write this by myself without deadlines, it was almost impossible. Like if I didn't know that someone was going to have to read it or see it or whatever, like I just didn't have the motivation to, to do it. I get that. What are your hopes for the future? Oh, that's such a big question. I'm going to answer my hopes for the project because that seems smaller. <laughs> <laughs> and my hopes for my project for the future is my project talks about uh, like Western alienation and climate crisis and the end of the oil and gas industry. And I'm from Alberta. I'm in Alberta right now, actually. And my hope is that my piece offers bridges for understanding between these two sides of Canada that, I mean, I think Canada is a massive, massive country and full of independent little identities. My hope is that my piece provide some pathways for conversation and understanding between what can feel really unfathomable about a different province. That's my hope for my project's future. <laughs> my hope for the future is that people are kind to each other and that we can gather again and be really radically kind and empathetic to each other. Uh, there's an element of, of our project, of my piece, that's about like the future of queer gathering, the future of parties or like whatever that means like of, of gathering together and kind of imagining what the future of uh queer nightlife but also just gathering is going to look like so um, my wish for that is that we can find ways to be really gentle and kind and that we can gather in the future more and that we can move through um all the pain and all the loneliness that we've experienced in the past 18 months or whatever it is and also the piece is also kind of going in a bit of a different direction where I like on a personal level, I, I really want to make something that's a magic cathartic experience for the audience, but also kind of uh, embodies a bit of the just sort of confusion and chaos and dissonance of this time. I think broadly, I hope that uh, the muggles, as I called them, um, the non-artist folk uh, kind of realize how we're all like artists are essential to like this world, um, we all turn to screens, we all turn to stories, whether that was like on TikTok for one minute, like you're telling me a story in that one minute, or if you're watching a whole film, or you're, if you're, you know, watching a whole show in, in a day, like you, we, I think as humans crave story. And I think that's why we also gravitate towards one another. We, I want to hear your story. I want to hear like what you have to tell me about your experience in this world. And I think, I hope that this illuminates that that is like an essential part of of being human. Like we need to tell each other stories and we learn from telling each other stories. That was Jord Camp, Claren Gross and Margarita Valderrama. 
All of the artists in today's episode are bringing their new works, which are still in development, to the Caminos Multi Arts Festival. This year, Caminos is presenting the art of 32 different groups, both live and online, from October 12th through the 24th. Go to caminos.ca for more on how to see this show and to support this artist. Gracias a Venias Guerra and New Tradition Music for the theme song. We are speaking to you from the shores of this beautiful Zaga Igan, known to some as Lake Ontario, in Toronto, or Dugarondo. This is the ancestral territory of the Haudenosaunee, or Longhouse Confederacy, the Anishinaabeg Nation, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. This land is covered by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum and Treaty 13, also known as the Toronto Purchase. Araluna, we remember that people can begin to heal when they are hurt. We are committed to artful participation in disagreements. We are committed to unsettling ourselves towards connection, respect, and justice for all people who now live in this city, which has been a meeting place since time immemorial. Radio Aluna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theatre with support from the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Department of Canadian Heritage, and TD Bank. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Shellness with Sue Ballin. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Monica Garrido and Camila Diaz Varela. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca, follow at alunatheatre on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Miigwech and Nyawangoa. <laughs>